listening to Let the Bible Speak. Let the Bible Speak is the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church. Stephen Pollock is the pastor of Free Presbyterian Church of Malvern, Pennsylvania. The church is located at the junction of 401 and Mallon Road. Thank you for joining us today as Dr. Pollock opens the Word of God and lets the Bible speak. Well, please, your Bibles, and turn once more to the second psalm. We are coming back in our studies again once more to the psalm 2 and the verse number 11. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. And this again is the Word of God to our hearts tonight. In our studies in recent months on the subject of the fear of the Lord, we have recognized that it is a less than popular concept in the modern evangelical church. I don't think it goes far to say it's completely neglected, but it does not have the prominence that it ought to have. It's often considered as a secondary or subsidiary issue in terms of the Christian life. And again, part of this is because there has been a healthy rediscovering of God's free grace in the doctrine of justification. There's an understanding, and a good understanding, that provokes a right confidence before God. Now, those who are justified freely by God's grace, they stand, they've access into the court of God in the place of prayer. There's a recognition of that. And again, our justification gives us acceptance with God, and there is that confidence and that proper assurance. And fear is often misunderstood, looked upon as a negative attitude, an attitude that keeps us away from God. And therefore, in contrast to the grace of God that draws us into His presence. Now, this neglect of the fear of God is particularly seen in the realm of worship. I would say both public and private worship, but our focus tonight will really be in the area of public worship. Now, worship should be provoked by joy, by love, and by thankfulness. Again, the child of God, recognizing God's grace, rejoicing in the Lord, will indeed run into the courts of God with praise. We just sang the Psalm 100, entering his gates and courts with praise and thanksgiving. It's also worth noting that worship will be controlled by joy and love and thanksgiving. Uh, but again, we have this kind of perceived conflict between fear and love and grace and joy. There are some things that are forgotten, a couple of things in particular. First of all, there is, again, the importance to remember, not forget, that God's grace is what provokes and produces reverent fear. So having this kind of issue, well, God's grace produces love and joy, and that should uh, control our worship. Well, that's true, but it is God's grace that also produces reverent fear. Again, remember Psalm 130, there is forgiveness that thou mayest be feared. Thankfulness for God's grace produces in us a desire to obey and to please the Lord out of love. So the grace that brings about fear, that same grace brings about love and thanksgiving, and these are not in, in conflict. And so we worship God out of the complexity of a reborn heart. That's often forgotten about. People neglect the fact that we are coming to God in the fullness of our humanity. And fear is not incompatible with joy and love and thanksgiving. 
These are not at war. These are not conflicting emotions or attitudes in the Christian heart. These things come together. And so we understand that fear and the presence of the fear of God does not mean the absence of love or joy. It should not. And you see in our psalm, serve the Lord of fear and rejoice with trembling. This is proving for us again that these things are very much compatible. And not only compatible, they are required to be together. Again, joy and worship, but coming with a trembling fear and a reverence for God. And so we began to look at this verse last time and noting that this word to serve is a word that's used regarding worship. It's a more general word. It speaks of the task and the duties of a servant to a master, but it is used for worship in a negative sense in the Exodus chapter 20 and the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them. Again, this idea, well, to serve a false god is to worship the false god, and so this word to serve has indeed the connotation of, of worship. And so we are to serve the Lord with gladness, Psalm 100. We are to come before his presence with singing. And so the text before us here in verse 11 is telling us that it is God's will to worship him with fear. Serve or worship the Lord with fear. And we tried to explore this connection. And the connection goes in, in two directions. Those who fear God do indeed worship God, and those who worship God must do so in fear. And last time we only got to deal with the first of those, namely that those who fear God will indeed worship God. Again, we saw several times in the Scriptures where there's a connection between a poor fear of God and then the practice of worship and praise. Psalm 22, ye that fear the Lord, praise him. The idea that those who fear God will indeed then find themselves in the place of public worship. And so there are these connecting ideas. The fear of God arises out of true knowledge of God. And that knowledge is a delight in God. And so if fear and a reverence for God comes from knowledge, and that same knowledge produces a delight in God, then those who fear God delight in God, and thus those who fear God delighting in God then worship God. Because it's all coming in the same essence, the Spirit of God, putting the fear of God in our heart, also puts the love of God into our souls. And these are not conflicting attitudes, but compatible and come together in a proper spiritual experience. It's also worth noting that the fear of God as a controlling attitude provokes within us a desire to obey God's Word, including the command to worship. And we saw last time in closing that the fear of God, desiring to obey the Word of God, has a particular reference when it comes to sincere spiritual worship. And not just a worship with our lips, but our hearts coming before God. And so this fear of God has a delight in God, a desire to obey God, and thus it provokes true biblical worship. But moving on tonight, we should see that those who worship God also must do so in fear. So the fear of God that leads to worship, well, that fear of God will also govern and control our worship. We worship in the fear of God. Or as our text says, serve the Lord with fear. Now there are those, and again we've seen this already, that believe this concept of the fear of God is very much an old covenant concept. 
Well, that's not the case. And very simply, turn to Hebrews chapter 12, and you'll see in Hebrews chapter 12 a very clear parallel to the Psalm 2 and the verse 11. Hebrews chapter 12, and it's down in the verse number 28. Uh, again, Paul has been emphasizing, again, the glories of God's grace and the benefits of, of not coming to Mount Zion, but coming unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, this company of the redeemed, the church of Christ, part of God's redeemed community. And so verse 28, Wherefore we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved. Again, this kingdom of Christ, the eternal grace of God, let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. Now again, you'll see that in our English Bibles, the word serve is used, whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. Now again, this word serve is, is interesting how it's used in the book of Hebrews. Turn, turn back to chapter 9 of Hebrews. Hebrews 9, verse 9. And you'll see the word used here in a slightly different form, but the same root idea. Again, referring to the tabernacle, a figure for the time then present, in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did, and here's the language, the service. Perfect. So serve, but here in Hebrews chapter 9, the service, indicating again the public worship of God in the Old Covenant tabernacle. But then over in chapter 10, in the verse number 2, this word is used again. For then would they not have ceased to be offered, because that the worshippers, or the servers, again the same root word, the worshippers once purged, should have had no more conscience of sin. So the writer here, Paul, is taking this language of service, Old Testament service, Old Testament worship, and he's saying to the believers in the Hebrews, he's saying to them, verse 28, whereby we who have received this new kingdom, the kingdom of Christ, we may serve, worship God. Yes, in a new form, not in the old covenant ceremonies. They're abolished, that's clear, uh, again in Hebrews but the worship of the old covenant that was in fear is also true of new covenant worship. We may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. And so you get this idea that there is even in new covenant worship the requirement that we serve God in and with reverence and godly fear. And the two terms that are used are also interesting. The word reverence here speaks of a, a, a humility. It's actually translated shamefacedness regarding the woman in 1 Timothy chapter 2. This idea of coming before God with a profound sense of our humility, theirs, let's put it this way, a sense of shame or honor, modesty, bashfulness, reverence, regard for others, or respect. It's, it's coming to God with a profound sense of humility. The word for fear that's used then, the second term here, serving God with reverence and godly fear. Well, this word godly fear is, is one word in the original. And it's used in one other place in Hebrews, back in Hebrews chapter 5 and the verse number 7. And again, it's a very interesting place. Hebrews chapter 5. Again, regarding Christ, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him, was able to save him from the death, and was heard in that he feared. 
the same word. And so again, immediately we could, we could run down different lines of thought here. You see immediately that it is, it is not, uh, again, a mark of a negative spirit to have a godly fear. If Christ himself, the sinless man, has a godly fear towards his Father in the attitude of prayer. He's, he's come with reverence to the Father as the God-man. He's praying with that sense of, of reverence. Even the one who is co-eternal and co-equal understands that in the mysteries of the Trinitarian fellowship there is still an esteem between the members of the Godhead. The Father esteems the Son, and the Son esteems the Father. Now this is, this again, this is not an, an issue in terms of inequality. This, I believe, is a reference of the mutual respect there is in the Godhead. So again, back in chapter 12, we see it is this matter of reverence or godly piety that is due to God in our service, that as the sinless man in his prayers on earth exercised such fear, so we in our worship also must come with humility and godly fear. Now again, please note, we do this out of God's grace. Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom, let us. Okay, this understanding, this, this attitude is coming out of God's grace, not to get us into God's grace, but as those who enjoyed God's grace, our proper response to it is worship with reverence and godly fear. It's also worth noting, not only does this come out of God's grace, it comes in the enjoyment of God's grace. Let us have grace whereby we may serve God. And we can't do this in the flesh. And I'm going to give some directions regarding uh, the nature of public worship, and I must emphasize again, we do not do this in the flesh. We can't do it that way. Only by the Spirit of God can we properly worship God. It's the only way. But it's clear. Psalm 2, and now Hebrews 12, that it is vital that those who worship God must do so with a proper attitude of fear. Now, this governs both our approach to worship and our actions in worship. First of all, then, our approach to worship. Again, I'm, I'm cautious. I, I'm not in very many churches I don't know what the general climate is, but you see things certainly shared online, and you can catch glimpses of this or that particular church service. And I think it's not unkind to say that there is a carefreeness in many public worship services. I say a carefree spirit rather than necessarily a careless spirit. I don't believe people are deliberately, uh, again, being neglectful in worship, but there is certainly an attitude, well, we are God's children, we are the friends of God, and we can come with, without this sense of, of worry in the presence of God. There's a, a carefree spirit. Well, the closer we get to God, the more we see our sin, and the more we come in thankful reverence to God. But even outside that kind of practical consideration, if you turn back to Ecclesiastes chapter 5, Again, the wise man, and, and considering this, this issue of, of conduct and in the fallen world, how do you live in a world where all is vanity? And he intersperses against some of his own experiences with, with, with very direct and deliberate exhortations. And Ecclesiastes 5, verse 1, Keep thy foot when thou goest to the house of God, and be more ready to hear than to give the sacrifice of fools. For they consider not that they do evil. Be not rash with thy mouth, and let not thine heart be hasty to utter anything before God. 
For God is in heaven and now upon earth, therefore let thy words be few. This is very wise advice. And again, I think we can gladly see this in the context of the fear of God. Look at the language. Let not thine heart be hasty to utter anything before God. In the house of God. It's an understanding that public worship is in the, it's in the sight and in the ear of God. It's in the presence of God. But the God we come before is the God who is in heaven. Our God's in heaven and now upon the earth, therefore let thy words be few. There's a, a recognition that coming into God's presence is a, is a solemn thing. And we must come with a sense of proper fear. Uh, dear folks, we need a conscious awareness of God's glory. We need to be consciously aware of God's glory and the greatness of our God in our approach to worship. And I will think very shortly about our actions in worship but now I'm kind of considering, well, what about our approach? How do we come into God's presence? That's what it's saying here. Keep thy foot when thou goest to the house of God. When you're coming into God's presence, there, there, are, uh, there are things that are going to be governing your attitudes and your actions in that way. Coming into God's presence with reverence. I'm cautious. I certainly know of my own Christian experience where this was uh, perhaps misused to bring about and enforce man-made regulations in worship. You know, what do you wear? How long should you sit in silence before the service begins? You can certainly see how an application of this can be used in a way that is really bringing man's dictates into the house of God, and we should be, be very, very careful. And whilst avoiding explicit rules, we must acknowledge that a proper fear of God does impact these areas. Ah, fear of God should impact your Lord's Day morning and even your Saturday evening. Uh, we ought to take some time to think about the glory of God and recognize that we're coming to worship in the presence of a most holy God and prepare to worship God in the fear of God. That there should not be a running into the house of God carelessly or thoughtlessly. There should be recognition we're coming to meet God in His house in a manner and that is, must be worthy of his name. What we wear, it does reflect our thinking and our attitude about events. Again, I'm not beginning to stipulate what you can and cannot wear in the house of God, but you understand that if you're going out for a, a meal with a family, and you're going to Chick-fil-A as a family, you may dress one way, but going to court, you're going to dress a different way. There's a recognition that we, we think about an event and we dress in a manner that is appropriate to that event. There's a reflection in those things. Again, coming, uh, as many do in the modern-day uh, church, and they're in their shorts and T-shirts, the house of God, it is, it's displaying a way of thinking. Is it sinful per se? That's, I'm not judging people's hearts in that regard, but I'm suggesting to you that dress code does reflect attitude, at least to some degree. Again, you look at the issue of, again, this idea, is it sinful to drink coffee in the house of God? Oh, should we not have coffee and donuts and come together in, in the house of God? Well, what does that say about our attitude in God's house? How does it demonstrate our consideration? We're in the presence of God, and is it appropriate to come in such a manner before a most holy God? Just the questions. These things come, and they, they reflect our attitudes. Again, certainly in the minutes before the, the service begins, we should be settling our hearts, considering what we're about to do from that very opening prayer, a, reali a realization, I'm in God's presence here. 
This is a God who's a consuming fire in Hebrews chapter 12. I cannot trifle in God's presence. I must come with reverence and godly fear. It should impact what we do, shouldn't it? And you can come, we can discuss the practicalities and the, uh, again, the very circumstance. Of course we can. But I'm saying make sure what you do in the house of God properly reflects your attitude. Are you consciously coming to worship God in the fear of God? And if so, then how is that affecting your approach to the house of God? But it also governs our actions. The fear of God is a controlling sense of reverent awe. We saw that from Professor Murray. And thus our actions are governed by the fear of God. The elements of our worship, the expression of those elements, and how we encounter those elements in our worship. The elements, the parts of public worship. What God thinks and what God wants is what matters. He has revealed in his word his will with regards to public worship. And the fear of God undergirds what we know to be the regulative principle of worship, which states we must worship God only as God commands. Now, there are those who say, yes, no, we can do whatever God does not forbid. But no, the fear of God so governs our minds that our desire is not to try God out, if you like, but rather, what does God want in worship? And he says, this is what I want in worship. Therefore, we will give God what he wants. We will not have this idea, well, that will be popular, or that might be a nice thing to do, or that might bring in young people, or that might do this or that. The other thing, the question is, what does God think? What does God want? That's what matters. It's not about popularity or about our own opinions. It's God's opinion that matters in the house of God. That's what it is to worship in the fear of God. And we are told God's will. We don't need to guess. We don't need to speculate. There are the elements of worship, the things we do in the house of God and the Lord's day. These are the elements that we know please the Lord. And thus we avoid, again, what the children of Israel did in their day in Jeremiah 7. They did evil in God's sight because they set their abominations in the house which is called by my name. In God's sight, will worship, doing their own thing in the house of God, is an abomination to God. So it controls the elements of our worship. It, of course, controls the expression of those elements. I can just think how obvious this is. The words that we use in praise, those words must be biblical. Again, it, it, it amazes me. That's, again, there's a regular occurrence with some uh, new contemporary song, and it comes out, and there's a question about the theology. So, in one sense, I go, good. There should be a question about the theology. But it shouldn't be tolerated. And so sometimes these questions come, and they give some excuse for this, this term or that term. Again, just, you, you know this already here in the house of God here. Uh, we have a hymn book that we use. That's the canon, if you like, of our hymnology. And everything else that's discussed or sang comes under the oversight of our, of our session. We ensure that the words that we use in praise are in the fear of God. They're biblical concepts and language. Reflects our reverence for God. The issue of music comes into bear here. He's a preacher, you're, you're, you're going down the line of what is subjective. How does some sort of music illustrate the fear of God more than another? Does one genre more reverent than another genre? Well, yes, actually. Yes. Now, I get there's going to be some discussion regarding some particular types of music, 
But there's types of music that are used in the house of God that clearly do not deliver a sense of reverence. And if there's a question about that, people think, well, is this reverent or is that reverent? If there's any doubt about the matter, then keep it out. The fear of God will so govern our worship that we will not try things out. And we won't think to ourselves, well, this might be okay. No, we're always going to be so careful. What God wants and what God is pleased with is what governs our worship. Yes, I know, joy is there. We rejoice at trembling. But the fear of God is going to govern how we worship God. It comes from me as a preacher as well. Again, the fear of God governs my preaching. I'm not going to come here and just say what comes to my mind and what I feel like saying. I, I like well, what Micaiah said in 1 Kings 22, As the Lord liveth, what the Lord said unto me, that will I speak. That's living in the presence of God. As the Lord liveth, says Micaiah, I'll speak what God says. It's living in the fear of God. Public prayer. Biblical content in how we pray before God, but also in the manner of our prayers. We want to reflect proper sense of reverence. And again, this is not, it's not put on. It should be a natural expression of a recognition that we're coming in the fear of God. You think of that? I think of that in public prayer. Got to be very careful how I come before God in public prayer. It's also going to govern our encounter with the elements of worship. Again, just in closing, look across to Isaiah chapter 66. So the elements, what we do, the expression, uh, what we say in those elements. But when it comes again to your encounter with those elements, please note Isaiah 66 verse number 2. But to this man will I look, even to him that is poor and of a contrite spirit, and trembleth at my word. The word of God that comes to us in the teaching and the admonition of songs and hymns and spiritual songs. The Psalms, hymns and spiritual songs. That, that, that admonition that comes, we tremble at that word. We tremble at the word that is read. We tremble at the word that is preached. In contrast to verse number 4, where there are those who did evil before God's eyes. That's not the fear of God. The fear of God is trembling at God's word. And thus, an awareness of God must govern our worship. Those who fear God will worship God. And those who worship God will do so in reverence and godly fear. Public and private worship will not be according to our tastes. It will not be governed by the opinion of a particular group in the church, young or old, but be governed by what God says in His Word and the proper application of God's Word. There is a connection, isn't there? between the fear of God and our public worship. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of Let the Bible Speak from Malvern Free Presbyterian Church. If you'd like more information about the gospel or the church, please call 610-993-3170 or email malvernfpc at yahoo.com. We extend an invitation to all to join us as we worship the Lord each week. You will be made very welcome. The church is situated at 80 Mallon Road, Malvern, Pennsylvania, at the junction of 401 and Mallon Road. We meet for worship on the Lord's Day at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. A Bible study and prayer meeting is also held on Wednesday evening at 7 p.m. We preach Christ crucified.